Hello, my name is Nicholas Chin, and you're listening to The Beacon, the Oxford International Relations Society's podcast. Joining me today is Katrina Liao. She is a DPhil student in politics at Wolfson College, studying the legacies of authoritarian regimes and how they impact contemporary political behaviour. Thank you very much for joining us, Katrina. Thank you very much for, for the invitation. Uh, so I'm just going to start by asking you what you think the possible outcomes are of the, da- the downfall of an authoritarian. So I think the, the most ob- obvious outcome is, is whether the regime will transition, will make a transition to democracy or, or will fall back into authoritarianism. So transitions do not always uh, follow open paths uh, for, for democracy. So um, in, able to, uh, in order to democratize, uh, there, there have to be a series of conditions that, that these countries will have to, to follow. Uh, for example, agreement in how to produce an elected government, uh, to have fair elections and competitive elections. So just having elections is obviously not enough to democratize. Uh, well, in the case of, of democratization, well, that's also a, a possible outcome. And then there's a third option, which is what, what some authors call the hybrid regimes. And these regimes are not this, like it's important to, to say that these regimes are not always uh, the, the in-between an authoritarian regime and democratization, because just because they're hybrid doesn't mean that they're moving towards democracy, just means that their opposition is competitive. For example, Russia, where we have an opposition uh, where, where we have a, a, an elite that gathers all the power and doesn't allow opposition to enter the system. So that's also a third outcome. So would you say there's an example of perhaps an ideal transition from authoritarianism? Well, I, w- I would say that uh, all the countries that satisfy the, the conditions to become a consolidated democracy are successful. Uh, but ideally, you would want to have not only a good economic growth, but also ideally a solid civic culture because that will mm. pave way to democracy. I think Germany could be a good example because it, it fulfills these two conditions. Yeah, um, so are there, do you think those are the only conditions required to develop a functional democracy or do you think there are other important conditions alongside that? Um, well, I, there, there are many authors that say that uh, having a good economic well, economic economic conditions are for sure important to transition to democracy. But also, you have to have, uh, in terms of institutions, uh, you have to, in a way, well, it's a, it's a complicated uh, answer. But institutionally, you also have to reunite certain conditions, and also you cannot have uh, what what uh, some. Some authors call a authoritarian um, propensity. So I think people must be already in tune with democracy, and of course this has to do with repression of the regime and other factors. But I think there has to be, and and, and again this has to do with civic culture. There has to be space for democracy to uh, people move, make this transition themselves. Do you think the authoritarian themselves has a role to play in shaping that culture? So, for instance, if an authoritarian came from a militaristic background and came to power through a coup d'etat, are they more or less likely to transition to a democracy? That's a, that's a very interesting question. My answer would be that, well, 
be, if, if a leader is a military leader, that would mean that the regime is most likely authoritarian and not necessarily totalitarian, uh, to use the Lin's definition. But, and in a way, I think totalitarian regimes, because of their repression, because of of how they merge their citizens into into the autocracy, they're probably uh, harder to like. It's it's harder to make a transition in this case. So when you're talking about a military leader, uh, it's it's uh, f for example Spain. Spain is the case where we have a failed totalitarian uh, system because Franco obviously had totalitarian ambitions, but he was not able to have a an ideology that sustained all of that, so uh, transition was also possible because of that of that failure. So, how often is that transition a full transition to a functional democracy, and how often is it either a lapse back to back to a different form of authoritarianism or just a hybrid regime? Um, well, authors like, for example, Levinsky and Way say that it's way more likely to fall into a hybrid regime than to make the transition, uh, which is obviously. I suppose harder, uh, and as as we talked about, uh, democracy is more likely to happen in more developed countries, and regime transitions are more likely to happen during economic crisis. And uh, I think I, I think that uh, other factors that may have an, an, a strong impact on this is the type of opposition, how fierce are the opposing uh, elites, and. It's some, some studies also say that highly educated populations are more likely to become democratic. And also, and very interestingly, authoritarian values uh, are more prevalent in oil-rich countries and that hinders democratization. This is a study from uh, Michael Herb from 2005. And it's very, I think, I think it's a very interesting uh, study. So your research is particularly about how previous authoritarian rule affects future outcomes. When you're researching that, what sort of indicators are you interested in? So what I'm looking at is how the ideology of previous authoritarian regimes, and by ideology I mean left or right, I'm using a binary variable, how do they influence political systems? And I'm looking only at elites and not only at citizens. Uh, I'm looking at how after transition, there seems to be a bias against the ideology of the previous regime. So this, what would happen is that countries like Portugal, Spain, that had a right-wing dictatorship, their political systems after transition will tend to be way more left-wing, and this will fade away over time. And, for example, in, in post-Soviet countries, the opposite would occur, so they will have a, a tendency to become more, uh, to be more right-wing. I'm currently looking at, obviously, the ideology of regime, but I'm also interested in looking at the length of the regime to see if, if the length of the regime also had an impact in, in the future influence of this authoritarian rule after transition. And also, uh, violence. was the violence of the regime? For example, it's very interesting to notice that the Portuguese, both the regime and the revolution, the Carnation's revolution, was a peaceful one. Uh, and yet, the regime lasted was lasted more than forty years, and uh, the effects of this of this regime are still very very present in the Portuguese society today. Uh, so I would say that the violence of the regime is probably an interesting factor because it's probably slightly 
uh, overrated. Maybe it's not as important if we are taking into account the, the effect of the regime after the transition. Uh, and then the, eventually I would like to look at the type of transition, uh, whether if it was by negotiation, for, uh, as it happened in Spain, or if it was by coup, like it happened in Portugal. Um, so when, when you consider the impacts of violence on the likelihood of supporting the ideology of the new regime, you said that you found a relatively limited effect. Why do you think that is? I, I'm only basing this this statement, which I will actually work uh, in my next paper, but right now it's just an assumption. I'm basing this on the case of Portugal, where the violence of the regime, which was very limited, was not exactly a, a factor that's influenced the impact of the regime in contemporary political systems. In Portugal today, to say that you're right-wing, it's still a taboo. So and the regime was not that violent. The transition was absolutely not violent. So this makes me wonder what's the role of violence in, in the whole impact of the, of the regime nowadays. Um, so when you, what role do you think the actual ideology of the authoritarian plays in whether it lasts for a longer period of time? Are some ideologies more appealing even once the, the authoritarian has left? Absolutely. I think that totalitarian systems with a very clear uh, utopian blueprint, as Karl Popper would say, I think they're way more uh, powerful than autocratic uh, regimes. Um, so could you give an example of perhaps a totalitarian state that had a utopian ideal that continues to affect their politics today? Well, yes, North Korea, for example. Uh, yeah, I suppose that's <laughs> probably a fairly good example. Um, uh, how about the methods that they use to um, maintain popularity? Kind of aside from violence, which we spoke about earlier, mm -hmm. when we consider this type of propaganda used, if you create a cult of personality, is that more likely to give your ideology a, a strong hold over the population or weaken it if the leader is overthrown? Mm -hmm. Well, I think uh, not all, the, the cult of personality can be one regarding one individual only, but it can also be related to a small party. Um, and I do think that if this, if, if this is accomplished, uh, as it's in the case of totalitarian systems, it can be stronger because uh, in this case, the three pillars of stability of authoritarian regimes, which are the legitimation, repression and cooptation, are way stronger than authoritarian regimes, just because they, they don't have a, a stronger uh, blueprint. And uh, the, I think this debilitates the the, legit, the legitimation of the of the system. Uh, but just because there is a cult of personality, that doesn't mean that the ideology that supports it is strong enough, or or mm. if it's clear enough. And uh, I give again the example of Franco, who tried to do this but yeah. failed, and couldn't sustain a totalitarian system. So when you refer to some ideologies being stronger than others, mm -hmm. so Franco versus the North Korean ideologies. Um, is it just the utopian aspect you spoke about earlier, or is there more that makes an ideology strong? Well, I think that's a tough question. I'm not sure if I'm in the position to answer them. I'm sure that authors like Linz would say that uh, 
as long as the ideology is clear and well defined, uh, it's it would be strong enough. The problem with Franco is that the ideo ideology was we cannot say that it was not it it wasn't non-existence because he did make an attempt, but it was not clear. And because of North North Korea is very clear, so I think that gives more strength to the blueprint, whatever it is. I don't, I'm not sure if there are blueprints that are stronger than others, but they are strong per se. Um, looking at southern Europe, southern Europe today, we're seeing a significant rise in populist parties, uh, for instance, Podemos in Spain. Mm -hmm. Do you think that they've been aided in a way by the experiences of authoritarian regimes previously? Um, yes, well, in a way, yes. And this is actually what motivated me to study the legacies of authoritarianism. Because I started to notice, as I'm Portuguese and... Uh, that in Portugal and Spain there are no extreme rights. Uh, and the countries that emerged after the crisis, they, they didn't manifest themselves as extreme right, but as, a, as extreme left. And this made me wonder why. Why is there no extreme right when we do have high rates of immigration and all the factors that could uh, promote a rise in extreme right? And uh, I do think that this has to do with the legacies of authoritarianism and with this bias that I'm studying that uh, in our political systems, extremism will tend more to the left than to the right. And this is my hypothesis that I'm currently trying to test. So does this suggest that the um, new extreme left populist parties in um, Portugal and Spain might, have, might last for quite a while then in, the in their respective political systems? I would say I would say yes. I would say, of course, that according to what I, my hypothesis, this will tend to to disappear over time. So, if right now that's the case, maybe in the future that won't be the case. And at some point, obviously, extreme right will have again uh, a place in in political systems in Portugal and Spain. But right now, I do think that that that's the case. Um. Does your research look at all into how long this authoritarian legacy does impact the political system? Mm -hmm. That's a very interesting question. I would, I would like to, to understand how long does it take, how long this, how long authoritarian regimes still have an impact on political systems. I'm not so sure I'm going to be able to, to give a definite answer like for years, thirty years. I'm. Mm. I don't know for sure, but what uh, what we know is that in Portugal and Spain, uh, this is still happening, and the uh, respective revolutions were in seventy four and seventy eight. So, but if we look, for example, at somewhere like Germany, which had mm -hmm. their uh, their last authoritarian regime in the nineteen forties, do you think the authoritarian legacies, in a sense, worn off in Germany? Mm -hmm. So I'm looking at uh, third wave democracies. And I, I really believe that also the nature of the regime, and this is one of the factors that I'm looking at, the type of regime. I think that Germany was a, tot a totalitarian uh, regime, and Portugal and Spain were not. They were only authoritarian. And I do think that because, as, as I mentioned before, because of the totalitarian ideology was stronger in that case, the effects are different. Uh, I think the it's way more rooted in their society and maybe this bias won't happen uh, as much, for example, in Italy or in, or in Germany as in Portugal and Spain where the ideology was not, okay, there was repression, there was 
and the three pillars of authoritarianism, they, they were still present, but they were not as rooted in society as in Germany or Italy. So I'm not sure if the bias would verify in these cases, but this is something I plan to look on. Um, beyond the methods used while in power, does, uh, um, has your research found any significant effect of the, me of the method of revolution or was it whether it was an agreement or whether it was a coup d'etat or uh, that's that's what i'm going to start looking uh, at i'm not sure if uh, my hypothesis is that that will not be as significant uh, as for example the ideology of the regime as right or left i don't think that it will have a big impact i think even if it's a coup or if it's by negotiation uh, the bias will still be there mm. uh, so uh, I'm not sure if that's a very significant uh, variable. Okay. Um, thank you very much for that. I'm just going to ask one last question that we like of to course. ask. Um, so d is there any book that's particularly inspired you uh, that you could recommend to our listeners? Absolutely. So uh, by Lin's uh, Authoritarian and Totalitarian Regimes is obviously the book that I'm reading line mm -hmm. by line and that's that is very important for this research because the I think the differences between these two types of regime is very subtle, but it's very important to understand how much ideology could penetrate into not only after transition re uh, countries, but after after the transition to democracy. So that book, absolutely. Mm. And we also like to ask for one fiction book that you really enjoy as well. One fiction book and the book that inspired me to study politics is obviously 1984 by George mm, Orwell. Yeah. I would recommend it to anyone who studies <laughs> politics and doesn't. Um, do you think as you've continued to research authoritarian totalitarian regimes, you found the book more or less powerful or accurate or interesting? In, do, you think, um, do you think it's affected how you read the book? Well, absolutely, and that's a very interesting question. I do, uh, the more I study politics, the more I realize how non-fiction that book could be. <laughs> so, yes, that book is, is, is very interesting, even from a, from a, a real perspective, not only when talking about fiction, yes. It's, it's surprising in that sense. That's perhaps a slightly sad conclusion. <laughs> well... <laughs> Um, but thank you very much for being on the podcast. Thank it's you. been really, really interesting talking to you and learning about authoritarian regimes. Thank you very much. Um, you can find other episodes of The Beacon um, elsewhere on the International Relations Society website, or you can download them on iTunes. So thank you very much for listening. I've been Nicholas Chin. <laughs>